Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. We continue our discussion of easy-to-grow, cool-season vegetables with master gardener and vegetable expert Gail Pothauer. Last episode, we discussed the easy greens to start in your garden now in USDA Zones 7, 8, and 9. This time, we talk about the easiest root crops to grow, like carrots, turnips, beets, and radishes, plus tasty fall and winter above-ground vegetables like sugar snap peas, snow peas, and broccoli. Gail has a list of her favorite varieties to grow for gardeners just starting out. And we bounce around the topic of using rubber mulch in the yard with our favorite retired horticulture professor, Debbie Flower. It's episode 50 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Recently, we were talking with Sacramento County Master Gardener and vegetable expert Gail Pothauer about cool season vegetables. Now, we only got as far as the greens that can go in this time of year that are so tasty. There's root crops and flowering crops that also are healthy for your family and are easy to grow. So, Gail, let's talk about some of those uh, root crops that can do well if planted now. Sure. Uh, probably one of the easiest to grow is radishes. It's also something fun to grow with kids now that the kids are home so much because the seeds are a little bigger than um than some cool season crop seeds, a little easier for them to handle. And they grow so quickly. In 25 days, you've got um, a mature radish. And they're colorful. There's varieties that are red or white or purple. So it's a fun one to grow with kids, and they grow very quickly. And the trick, though, with radishes is, is to thin them out so that they're, what, about five inches apart? Um, maybe not that big, but it kind of depends on the variety you're growing. Some are more icicle shaped and they're more long and slender. So it depends on the variety, but I would generally give them at least three inches apart. If they're too close together, they won't size up. So you'll have all the leafy top and you pull them out and it's just a a skinny root. So if you want them to get the nice little round ball, it'll give them some room to grow. So three inches, four inches. And when it comes to root crops, we should point out that they would do better in a sandier soil than a heavy clay soil. But if you're blessed with heavy clay soil, maybe build a raised bed or even use a, a large planter to put them in. Mm-hmm. With a good um, potting soil in it because that's pretty loose and friable, so it would do really well. Radishes typically aren't very uh, long-rooted unless you get some of the varieties that are long and slender, they're usually, you know, round, and so they don't take up a lot of space, so they don't need a, a real deep container. Um, but they do grow well uh, as long as you keep them irrigated. You know, don't let them dry out because they can crack. Don't let them get too big because they can get woody. So you, you know, maybe a large marble to a, a golf ball size, uh, maybe not even that big, but uh, just keep them evenly moist. With most if not all of the cool season crops, they want to have continual moisture, not waterlogged, but they don't want to dry out because then you can have problems with splitting or uh, off flavors, bitterness, or they get woody. So just keep even moisture. 
And in the wintertime, hopefully we'll get rains, and then we don't have to do a lot of irrigation on our own. But if the rains are late coming, um, be sure to keep your irrigation system on or hand water them so that they germinate well and then they grow quickly. Some of the tasty radish varieties that are out there include Champion, Watermelon, Crimson Giant, Cherry Bell. You have any favorites? Yeah, actually we do. Um, at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, we try to showcase all America's selections. We are an AAS display garden. And so uh, last year we started growing two all America selection radishes. One was Roxanne and the other was Rivoli. They're both a typical red radish, but they grew very well. Um, nice flavor. We harvested them about two inches in diameter, one to two inches in diameter, and they were great. They mm. were not too spicy. Of course, with radishes, they are spicier with the weather is warmer. So you want them to mature in the cool season. Um, also, if you don't water them enough, they can get a little bitter. But these were two excellent varieties, Roxanne and Rivoli. Now, you said something very important there, that they have to mature in the cooler weather. But you could plant radishes now, even though there might be a heat wave or two left, and you'd still be okay. Oh, yes, because they grow so quickly. Um, they can be ready in, well, depending on the variety, 30, 40, 45 days. And you can then you know, plant another crop. You can plant them in with other cool season vegetables. They'll grow quickly before the other vegetables get large. So you can, you know, scatter them around um, other things you're growing. And uh, they do very well as long as you don't let them mature in the heat. So next year, um, you know, if they overwinter, be sure to harvest them before it starts getting warm. Are radishes one of those crops that you should plant from seed, not from transplant? You know, I've never actually seen radish transplants at at a garden center or nursery, uh, typically they are grown from seed and they are so easy to grow from seed. I don't know that it would be worth paying for a six pack of radishes when it would cost uh, less to buy a whole packet of seeds, but typically that's just grown from seed. There are some that you can grow from transplants. Carrots are not one of those. Those have to be direct seeded. And But beets, those are typically grown from seed uh, direct seeded, but I have been successful growing them from transplants. In fact, more successful from transplants than growing from seed because I have issues with cutworms and things like that that tend to eat the plant as it comes up. So I start my beets in a flat, and when they get a couple of true leaves, I gently loosen them out, and I will put them in either another container until a little bit later or directly in the soil. And uh, it's worked out fine for me. Let's explain that term, true leaves. When a seed germinates, it bursts out of its seed coat and sends up a stem. And the first leaves you see are called the cotyledons. And that's part of the seed, actually. And on many plants, they provide photosynthesis as the plant grows. A bit later, a plant will form its first true leaves. And those leaves have the appearance and function that all future leaves on that plant will have. And usually the true leaves look dramatically different than the cotyledons. Here in California, we're about coming up to the end of beet planting season, but it'll resume for February, March, and April. So probably a good idea with beets might be to, to save it for late winter. Right, yes. Yeah. you don't have your beets in by now, I would say, or at least in the next couple of weeks, I would say wait until um, you know next year to plant them. In our area, we could plant them in February, March. And 
because we do have such warm springs and have hot summers, it's not something we grow into the summer. But if you planted them in February or March, we would recommend for our area a short um, season. So something that would grow in 50 to 55 days. You mentioned carrots, and this is where that heavy clay soil might work against you, because if you're thinking of getting a Bugs Bunny-style carrot, which would probably be the (laughs) Imperator or something that's seven or eight inches long, it needs really sandy soil. But there are a lot of good carrot varieties on the market that get half that size or even shorter. Things like Danvers Mm -hmm. Half Long or Short and Sweet or the Nantes, and uh, they only grow a few inches, so they do well in the heavier soil. Right, and there's also, um, you had mentioned um, the Danvers, there's also a knot type called uh, Napoli that grows uh, as a baby carrot, so it, you can harvest it before it gets really long. And then there's the, the red core Chantenay, that is one that's broader and kind of wedge-shaped, and I call it kind of stumpy. It maybe only gets about five inches long, but it's wider at the top than at the root, and it can kind of wedge itself into heavier soils. You really do need to have some friable, well-drained, fluffy soil that doesn't have rocks and a lot of other debris in it when you grow carrots, because you can have issues with uh, forked carrots. You know, if they hit an obstruction, it can fork. A raised bed that has, you know, really loose soil with some compost in it, or the short varieties, you could grow in a container such as the round one called Parisian or Thumbelina. They're round, almost like a beet or a radish, mm-hmm. a large radish. So those could grow in a container that's about six inches tall. Another round carrot variety you might want to try is called Romeo. And that right, too, too, looks, that. Yeah, too looks like a beet. And we should point out that carrots aren't just orange anymore. You're going to find a lot of uh, rainbow-colored carrots out there, like the uh, Circus Circus, which is a combination mm-hmm. of, of orange and purple and white and something in between. The, uh, the, yeah, and the round ones we were talking about, the Thumbelina and the Parisian and the Romeo, are orange, like the typical uh, carrot. And I... Um, tend to not grow orange carrots in my garden because buy them at the grocery store. What I grow are the yellow or the white or red or purple carrots. Mm-hmm. So those are the types that I grow in my own uh, garden. And some of my favorites of the yellow are Yellowstone or Solar Yellow. Um, the red ones, I love Red Samurai and Atomic Red is good as well. And then of the white ones, Lunar White and White satin, I think with white satin being my favorite. Hmm. And I tried a new purple one last year called Purple Snacks, S-N-A-X Snacks, and it did very well. So um, if you like the rainbow carrots, um, those are some that are really good. And as Fred mentioned, um, the, the ones that come in a rainbow package, you know, you don't have to buy three or four different packages of carrots. They come all in one. Yeah, yeah. At uh, Renee's Garden uh, Seed Catalog, you can find uh, packages of of the rainbow carrots if you can't find them locally. Yeah, I think she has one called Harlequin as well that mm-hmm. has some dark purple carrots in there. Right, and and a purple one called Purple Sun as well. Yeah, I've done that one. Just be aware, the purple, the real dark purple carrots, which I love, they stain like a beet. Hmm. So um, when you peel them, you'll have purple hands. I made the mistake once of. Of, uh, grow, of boiling some carrots, you know, in some water. Different colored. I had orange and red and white and purple carrots, and all my white carrots turned out pink. 
because of the, <laughs> of the purple carrot. So they will stain your hand. So beware of that. All right. Another crop you could put in now and probably uh, from, even though I've seen this in six packs, I still think you're better off uh, doing it from seed are, are sugar snap or uh, uh, snow peas. They are so easy to grow. That's another one that's good to grow with children because the seeds are so big and they um, come up fairly quickly. There are bush peas and pole peas, just like bush beans and pole beans, need to provide some sort of support for them. Even the bush peas, I find, need to have some kind of uh, stakes around with string or something to contain them because they'll flop otherwise. But uh, the peas are really easy to grow. The snow peas, there's the shelling peas, like uh, that you would have to take them out of the shell to eat, and the edible pod peas like uh, sugar snap. But there are other uh, pea varieties, too, like mammoth melting sugar and sugar ann. And uh, plant those about two inches apart and uh, maybe a way to trellis them. And uh, it might take a while for them to grow. But once they grow, uh, you should have more than you know what to do with. I think the key with with the edible pod peas is you want to pick them and eat them before they're they're too lumpy looking. You want them when they're sort of flat in the pod. Mm -hmm. Um, The... The ones where you eat the whole pod, like the sugar snap and the snow peas, you want to eat them before they're too mature because then the pod itself can get kind of fibrous. And then the shelling peas, where you actually take the the pea out of the pod, you want to harvest those before they're too mature because they can get kind of starchy. All right, let's talk about a flowering vegetable that uh, basically you're eating the flower buds, and that would be broccoli. Broccoli, yes. Fairly easy to grow. It um, that is one that I would suggest growing from transplants because if you grow from seed, it just takes such a long time. But uh, broccoli is easy to grow. It is a little bit. Um, it can be stressed if you let the plant get too big in the container before you plant it out. So be sure that if you buy a plant at a nursery, that it's not too large for the container because it doesn't want to be root bound. Because there are some stressors that can cause some issues with broccoli, but it's fairly easy to grow, unlike cauliflower. So I would stay away from cauliflower, but try broccoli. And there's a lot of great varieties of broccoli as well. One that we grew last year in straw bales at the Faro Horticulture Center and did, we were astonished at how big the plants were. They were about two and a half, three feet tall, had great broccoli um, heads on them. It was an All-America Selection variety called Green Common. It did very well, and we bought nursery transplants and put them in straw bales, and they did wonderfully. Yeah, Green Comet goes back years and years as an All-American Selection winner. One of their uh, more current winners is called Artwork, which was an All-America Selection back in 2015. And the Artwork mm-hmm. Broccoli uh, has a lot of tasty side shoots, so you get uh, more bang for your buck, so to speak. Right, and we did grow Artwork as well. And you're right that after you cut off the main head, then uh, side shoots come out so you can be harvesting the smaller little broccoli, almost like broccolini kind of, um, for quite a period of time. You want to be sure to cut them before the buds open up. You don't want those little yellow flowers. But, yeah, it did very well. Another root crop you may want to be planting these days is turnips. And there's a lot of good varieties there, too, isn't there, Gail? Oh, absolutely. And one that we grow every year at the Ferox Horticulture Center is a baby turnip called Mikado. And... uh, 
It's a little white turnip. We mm, usually harvest it when it's about an inch, no bigger than two inches. It's sweet. Oh, it's a wonderful flavor, and it grows really quickly. So that's one I recommend. Turnip varieties for here in California can be planted September, October, November. Depending on where you live, you'd probably be better to get on it sooner than later. That's right. And, uh, in fact, we are planting turnips, I think, next week. So that would be late September, early October that we'll be getting ours in. How do you know when they're ready? Well, it's just like a radish. It kind of pushes itself out of the ground a little bit, so it's not completely buried in the ground. You can see the top of it, and you can see just how big the diameter is. And it's when it's the size you want, you harvest it. And the one that I recommended, Mikado, is good as a baby turnip, so you would harvest it when it's small. Other varieties that are larger, um, I think probably a, you know two to three inches in diameter is a good um Good recommendation for when to harvest. Like most root crops, if they get too large, they can start splitting or they can get woody or even hairy, for that matter, if they're in the ground too long. And turnips are really a a quick crop to grow, too. They're ready to harvest 40 to 55 days after planting. You can harvest the leaves when they uh, reach, what, four to six inches in height. And you can Mm -hmm. cut them from the plant when they reach the right size, but leave about one inch of leaves above the crown of the plant. Right. And um, so not only can you eat the root and the the leaves, you know, turnip greens, but when we talked about radishes, you can also eat the radish leaves. They are a little hairy, and so it (laughs) it might be a little off-putting, just the texture of it. But um, you can eat the leaves of a lot of cool season crops that you don't typically eat the leaves. A lot of quick, easy to grow, very nutritious, cool season crops you can be putting into your backyard garden right now. As we begin fall and get into the cooler months, it is their prime time. We learn a lot again from Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener, vegetable expert. Gail, thanks for a few minutes of your time. You're welcome, Fred. Thanks. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com Fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. 
buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. like to answer your questions here on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. And for that, we get some help. We bring in retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower. And Debbie Joyce is doing a revamping of her yard. They've lived in their homes for five years and they want to upgrade the lawn, both front and back. But they plan on uh, rototilling one of the lawns, covering it with weed cloth, then applying rubber bark and some type of ground cover in the front yard. The backyard will be rubber bark with a planter in front of the back fence hmm. and, ask, and asks, well, what do you think of that? Uh, I don't think either of us are big fans of rubber mulch. No, I, I'm, I'm picturing being in her yard and <laughs> smelling rubber. <laughs> yeah, really. And it's uh, dirty. You know, it get, you get black stuff all over yourself. Maybe they don't intend to be in the yard very much. And maybe that's a moot point. She doesn't say if that rubber mulch will be in a child's play area because it's usually reserved for use under things like jungle gyms, right. where its greater feature is shock absorbency. Right. Yes. But what does rubber mulch do for the soil? Nothing. Covers it, slows down the rain. So when and the uh, overhead, any overhead irrigation, when it hits the rubber mulch, will slow down and 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 seep into the soil. But it doesn't improve the biology. It doesn't feed the biology in the soil. And, and that biology is necessary for healthy plant growth. Uh, it also absorbs heat. And when it's hit by light, it could get very hot. Not, I don't think that's going to be a problem for the soil itself, but it's going to reflect that heat back to the landscape and, um, you know, to anybody who touches it with their hands or feet or whatever. So that could be uncomfortable. And also, what is in that rubber mulch? If it's uh, uh, recycled tires, you might be releasing toxic heavy metals into the soil or eventually in as water runoff. Yes, I, I, that's the part that really bothers me. The, uh, rubber is made from oil, I believe. So there are toxic chemicals in it, and, and it's going to erode over time. It's not going to be uh, stable and it's uh, also rubber tires can catch fire. And when they do, it's a very toxic, slow burn and very hot. So uh, that would be another reason I would not. I know wood can catch fire, but wood is easy to put out. When rubber catches fire, it is not easy to put out. Uh, that's another reason I would not want it around my house. Yeah, let's talk about the benefits of, of using a, a more natural bark instead of rubber bark. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to using chipped and shredded uh, tree limbs or even uh, commercial uh, bark, walk-on bark. And uh, I think that would be fine even in a play area. Yes, the, the chipped tree limbs are free. So it's the, the financial choice. And they um, feed the soil. They, they provide the nutrients that the microorganisms that live in the soil can use. I suspect that one of the reasons that she wants to use rubber mulch is because she doesn't want to have to replace it regularly. And that is something that you do have to do with the free arborist mulch, the chipped trees and shrubs. They do break down over time. They release their nutrients to the soil and the plants and the other organisms that live in the soil. And that's beneficial for the plant growth, but it does have to be replaced about every two years. So maybe moving to the 
mulch uh, that's made just from the bark of the tree. That takes much longer to break down. It does break down. It takes much longer. It is not as beneficial to the plants and the microorganisms, but ultimately it eventually breaks down and does feed them. And it needs to be replaced much less often, especially if you start with the bigger chip pieces. And we'll go back to your original answer. It could smell bad. <laughs> the the rubber mulch, yes. The rubber mulch, yes. Yes. When it heats up, it, it's going to smell bad. Do we know where she lives? No, we don't. We don't know where she lives. And anytime you send a question into Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, be it via email that you send to Fred at FarmerFred.com or to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or at Farmer Fred on Twitter. I always include where you live. That helps us answer questions a lot more accurately. And, and like I say, she doesn't say if this rubber mulch would be used in a children's play area or not. She may just have a, a love of rubber, I guess. <laughs> I know a magazine we can send her a subscription to. <laughs> Probably not much there on mulch, though, I would think. <laughs> no, no. No. All right. Yes. Yeah, so I'm assuming she wants a, a um, relatively uh, um, carefree yard and, and sees the rubber mulch as a way to do that. But I would, if, if I didn't want to have to replace mulch on a regular basis, I would go to some other sort of hardscape, I think. Brick or pavers or something like that. Right, but not in a children's play area, even though we don't know if this is for a children's play area or not. Correct. But still, there are a lot of better options than uh, rubber mulch. Not in a yard. And it, as you say, Debbie, it does nothing for the soil. Right. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it could be toxic. We don't really know. But yes, as it breaks down and, and water washes through it, rain washes through it, it could be putting toxic chemicals in oil-based chemicals into the soil, and that could be toxic. Mulch, it's a good idea. Just be careful of what you choose for your mulch. All right. Debbie Flower, thanks for a few minutes of your time. Always a pleasure. Don't forget, you can get your garden question in to the Garden Basics podcast. Give us a call, 916-292-8964. You can also text that number to leave a picture and a question, 916-292-8964. Also email fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. And you can also leave a message and maybe with a picture as well at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or on Twitter at Farmer Fred. Don't forget to tell us where you live because all gardening is local. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.